After the sermon, we'll sing from that same hymn, stanzas 4 through 8. And the text for the sermon is verse 12 of Psalm 90. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the Bible in many places reminds us and teaches us that we are mortal and that one day we will return to dust. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we receive the warning, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. In other words, remember your creator before you go to your eternal home. And we might think, well, these are, these are morbid thoughts and that's not a nice way to begin the last sermon of the old year. Many people don't like to consider death, especially their own. But the Bible insists, however, that we do consider our own mortality, but that we consider it in light of our relationship with the eternal God. And the Bible insists that we, ins- that we ought to sort this out while we still have time. Scripture insists that we live life with an eternal perspective. And Psalm 90 is one of those portions of Scripture that really helps us think about these things. It teaches us that our times are set and established by the everlasting God and that we ought to be busy with the things of God. And so this is a good psalm to reflect on as we enter a new year or are about to enter a new year. So I proclaim to you the word of God with the following theme, live with an eternal perspective. And to do this, we pray to the everlasting God that he would teach us to number our days. And secondly, that we may get a heart of wisdom. So the words of verse 12 are often treated as a proverb, meaning something like, well, life is short, so... Live it wisely. But it means much more than that. Because we need to reflect on these words within the context of Psalm 90, which speaks about the everlasting God, the eternality of God, and the mortality of mankind. It speaks of God's sovereignty and our dependence upon God. It speaks of God's judgment against sin. And finally, it also speaks of God's mercy for sinners. So we are to number our days within that context. Now that doesn't mean that we literally should count the number of days that we have lived on earth or hope that God will reveal to us in a dream how many days we have left. Only God knows the number of our days. As we sang from Psalm 139, it's not for us to guess the number of our days. So these words then are a prayer. Teach us to value the days that we have left. Teach us the importance of what we have left. Lord, make me feel the weight of what I have left to live. 
Take Psalm 39, verse 4, for example, O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. So in this psalm, we are being taught to value the number of days that we have on this earth. Moses begins then by pointing out that God is eternal. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And since this song was composed by Moses, we understand that this song was sung by a wandering people. People who were living like nomads, people without a permanent home, people who were wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. But no matter, God is still their dwelling place. He is the home for their soul. The New Testament tells us that it is in God that we live and move and have our being. So no matter where we find ourselves in the cycle of life, the Lord is our dwelling place. Whether we're on a mountaintop of blessings or in a valley of despair, the Lord is your dwelling place. He is your strength. And then look at verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So before creation, before time, before the angels were created, God is the one who is and will be forever. He is the one who created time, he transcends time, and will endure beyond time. And this, this everlasting God is the one we pray to, to teach us to number and value our days. Because compared to his eternity, we're here just for a very, very brief moment of time. And so we have no time to waste. We must be wise as we carry out our lives on this earth. We are, we are dwarfed, so to speak, by God's eternity. So we, we must live intentionally then to live to his glory. Verse 3, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Well, that speaks then also of the sovereignty of this eternal God. He is the supreme authority over our lives over our time. And he determines how much time is allotted to us. Again, as we sang from Psalm 139, it tells us that our days were formed for us even before we were born. And Moses writes that God has created us from dust and returns us back to the dust. So it is God who is sovereign. In his sovereign timing determines when we return to dust. So we don't know how much time we have been given. Some are given much time, some are given less time. But since we don't know how much time is given to us, we must use this time with a maximum rate of return, so to speak. Because the Lord has ordained each one of our days He is the one who returns us to the dust, not we, not others. It is God alone who does this. So when our time comes, then God God will summon us. Then we come before him. One thousand years then is nothing to him. Moses is saying then we have a limited time and it's a precious gift. And we must use it wisely. And to emphasize this, Moses uses several illustrations. He says, God sweeps our life away as as with a flood. 
Well, in a mountainous territory, if there's if there is a heavy rainfall up in the mountains, it can cause flash floods. In one, in one moment, the mountain gullies that were empty can be suddenly filled with water and it sweeps away everything in its path. Or he says our life is like a dream that lasts for a moment, like grass that withers in, in the, heat of the heat of the sun. Life is short. And that's a sobering thing to contemplate. And when we consider verses 7 through 11, that becomes even more sobering. Because the shortness and weakness of human life is the fruit of sin and of God's judgment in the world. And the psalmist acknowledges this very frankly. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. Moses knows that holy God visits judgment on sinners. All our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? That's a frightening thing, isn't it? To think about God's wrath, that his, his wrath is greater than all the disobedience in the world. And Moses knew very well what he was writing about. He had witnessed the frailty of life during his lifetime and the sin of God's people through all those 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. The journey from Egypt to the promised land should only have taken a few weeks, maybe a couple of months at the most, but it took 40 years. And that's because they made wrong choices. They so often chose to live in unbelief and even in idolatry. They were, God's people were slow to believe his promises, so, so they were held back from entering the promised land. And over all those years, Moses had certainly learned something about sin, about Israel's sin and his own too. He learned that sin can have a deadly grip on us, even when we have the best of intentions. Our weaknesses can keep us from doing what's right, even when we think we're doing the right thing. We're often doing the wrong thing. Think about what happened to Moses when God told him one time to speak to the rock to bring water out of the rock. You think Moses planned right away ahead of time that he was going to hit the rock with his staff? But once he was in that moment, he became angry and frustrated. And then he acted against the will of God. Or do you think the Israelites planned it that way too? That one day they got out of bed in the morning and said, today is the day we're going to rebel. That's not how it works, brothers and sisters. Those things come upon us slowly and sometimes unexpectedly. And that's also our struggle, even with our good intentions. And Moses recognized the truth that every sinner deserves God's holy wrath. He witnessed that many times during those 40 years in the wilderness. We have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are dismayed. Israel's record of obedience was a very poor record, wasn't it? And more often, more than once, they felt the heat of God's anger. And so Moses also learned about the frailty of life during those 40 years. Think about the thousands of bodies that the Israelites left behind in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. They died in battle, they died from diseases, they died from snake bites and from plague. 
and from old age. An entire generation of Israelites were left behind in the wilderness before they entered the promised land. They left behind a string of graves wherever they went. A never-ending funeral procession. Those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, that's what it was. A funeral procession. The hand of God was heavy upon them many times. And so Moses asked the rhetorical question, Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Who, who makes this connection, he's asking? Who acts as he should in the light of all of this? Who, who acts as he should? If we remove the truth of God's justice, of course, then we don't have to fear God. If we remove the truth of his justice, then there's no sense either in the death of Jesus in the place of sinners. But if we realize our condition before God, and we realize that death comes to all, and that life is but a fleeting shadow, then we have to ask, is there anyone if there's any, is there anyone who has dealt with this predicament? Is there anyone who has made this connection? And of course, we know the answer to that question. There's one person who has. There is one who bore in his body the wrath of God and the just judgment of God against the sin of the whole world. And that is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he didn't live to be 70 or 80 years old either, did he? His life was short and difficult, and it was filled yet it was filled with redeeming power. He devoted every single day of his life to the honor and glory of God. And at the end, he was consumed by the anger of God. But because of that, whether our life is long or short, when we believe and trust in him, our lives are cleansed by his blood. Then all our days right, are purified by his grace. And filled with his power. So it's no wonder the psalmist has praised this prayer. Teach us to number our days. It's only when we do that. When we value our days. When we value what we've been given. In light of God's eternity. God's sovereignty. God's wrath and his mercy. That we gain a heart of wisdom. And again for... Many people, if we're contemplating the, the brevity of life, that, that can make some people sad and even bitter. And some people deal with this knowledge that life is short by, by making a bucket list. Right? You know what that is? That's making a list of things that you want to do before you die. Maybe travel to all kinds of exotic places, go skydiving or whatever. The congregation for the Christian, for the disciple of Christ, our response ought to be different. Our response to the brevity of life should not be that we have a bucket list. Awareness of death for the Christian is something that should make us wise, is a reason for holy living. Because it teaches us, death teaches us that life needs to be a life that is well spent, to spend it for God. To have a heart of wisdom, what does that mean? It means to know the everlasting God. To have a relationship with him. To live in fear of him. And in holy fear. Not to cower before him. 
It's not a, a knee-knocking kind of fear because, because of his wrath, but because we know what he has done for us in Christ. He has made us children of God. So in Christ we are no longer enemies of God, but children of God. And so to live in wisdom before God then is to have an attitude of reverence for his glory and his majesty and his power and his redemptive work. It means that we trust his care, that we depend on his loving kindness, that we confess that he is great and holy. And if we are wise enough to fear him, we will also be wise enough to listen to him. When the Lord Jesus was on earth, he said we must do the works of him, or that he must do the works of him who sent him into this world. But he also said that we must live the same way. And he added, night is coming when no one can work. What did Jesus mean by that? He meant the time is short. We must understand that too. The time is coming when you won't be able to work. So having a heart of wisdom is to realize that this short life that you have on this earth is not to be wasted. We only have so much time. And God's word calls us to carefully reflect on this so that we become people who are focused, people who want to live for the glory of God. That means think about what you're doing. Think about what fills your time. Many of us work very long hours and we have a full and busy schedule week after week and sometimes even the regular challenges of life maybe just put you into survival mode once in a while. But there are many things that can distract us from living wisely. Chasing your dreams, chasing a certain lifestyle, chasing a bucket list. Psalm 90 calls us to consider, what is your work for? Why are you working? Is it for God or for yourself? Is it for the kingdom of heaven or for your own kingdom? And we have to be so careful because we can easily fill our lives with so many things, with activities that have no real value. How many, how many hours don't we spend surfing the internet just because it's fun? And there's nothing wrong with fun, but how many minutes and hours and days do we lose just for things that are of very little value? And when your time is up, what will you have to show for it? Of what eternal value do those things have? And we have to be honest. Who, Who doesn't squander opportunities? We all do that, don't we? We squander time. We leave opportunities unused. We all waste opportunities to step forward and serve God. Our life ought to be lived for God, but it can be so easily wasted by making small decisions to do things for self. And so many opportunities can be ruined by just not thinking about what we're doing. And that's what happened to the people of Israel in the wilderness. They didn't take the long view, but they complained. As soon as they ran out of water and food, they were just in the wilderness, Across the Red Sea, they were just there for a couple of days, a few days. 
God had just rescued them from Egypt. And they were already complaining. They had just seen all those miracles in Egypt. They had just seen the army of Pharaoh drowned in the Red Sea. And a few days later, they were already forgetting that they should trust the Lord. And so they ended up in the wilderness, circling in a wasteland. It's like, who would get in in a rowboat and go out on a lake with just one oar? Or would you be satisfied with the kind of work where you move a pile of dirt from one end of the yard to the other and you have to do that every day? Like, what a waste of time. No one would want to do that. Who would willingly choose a life like that? But if you think about it, that's what the Israelites did. That's what they ended up doing. We're not really any different. We have the same temptations. And that's what life becomes if we do not live it for God. If we simply pursue earthly goals and chase earthly expectations, then we have, we have not found a heart of wisdom. And that's why Moses ends this psalm with a prayer with a prayer for God's blessing on our labor. He recognizes that we depend on the power of God. Verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. We need God's power in our lives and in our midst if we are to accomplish his work. Only God can carry out this work in us and through us. And that's why the psalm ends with the words of verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That is, God put your hand on ours. Because if, if I only use my own hands, I will accomplish nothing. It is God who works in us to will and to do in order to fulfill his good purpose. A congregation that requires a lot of humility on our part. And that's why we pray, teach us to number our days. Teach me, Lord, to value the days that you've given me, because I don't have all the answers. Teach me how to be effective in your kingdom. Teach me how I am to serve you. Teach me how to live my life. Help me in the year 2024. Help me to serve you. Give me a heart of wisdom. Teach me, O Lord. This prayer also teaches us that we are to recognize how dependent we are upon the grace of God. We're dependent on his grace to carry out the work of God because We can only do it in his strength. And it requires that we do not forget the urgency. Because our time is short. We have less time now than we did this morning. And less time now than we had at the beginning of this worship service. Less time to do the work that God has given us to do. You have only one life to live. Each of us, we have only one life to live. And it will soon pass away like a watch in the night or like a fading flower. You have only one life to live. 
And only what is done in faith in Christ has lasting value. So, as we face the new year, there's really no need for us to wonder what we have to do, is there? And why we're living and what we're living for. We know that, and Psalm 90 reminds us of that. You have a reason to live because you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever we do on this earth in this short life, when we do it for him, it's not a waste of time and it's not a waste of energy. Whatever you're doing, when it's done with your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he makes it holy and acceptable. Then it becomes a sacrifice of thanksgiving to him. And with God's blessing then, that work will also be crowned with an everlasting inheritance. Scripture tells us, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Well, when you know the everlasting God through Jesus Christ, you have everlasting life in you. You know that you will live forever, and it's yours already now today. When you have the everlasting God, when you know the everlasting God through Jesus Christ, then you receive a heart of wisdom. And God will establish the labor of your hands. When you know the everlasting God through Christ Jesus, then he will be your dwelling place all the days of your life, including in the year ahead. Amen.